You are listening to the weekend message of Crossroads Church North Campus. Crossroads exists to make much of Jesus, and we do this by following in the way of Jesus and making disciples who love God and love others. To find out more about Crossroads, go to crossroadslive.com. Thanks for listening. Grace and peace. To walk, to, to speak in that way, to walk in a way, was to live a certain way, was to embody certain actions. That's why we often talk around walking in the way of Jesus means that we are imitating the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the rhythm of Jesus, the patterns of Jesus, that we want to mirror him in all things. Well, this morning we are continuing in our series in Colossians. Um, If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Colossians 4.2. I'm going to invite Kim to come on up and read for us. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in that seat back and right in front of you. You can grab that. But would you stand with me as we read the word together this morning? Good morning. Today we are in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, and it's in the ESV version. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word. Open to us a door for the word. Sorry, I don't have my glasses. (laughs) Um, To declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, we are, um, we are winding down, if you can tell by where we are at in the letter to the Colossians. We are nearing the end. Um, and last week, we spent some time looking at how the rule of Christ should affect our house rules, how we should engage with those that are, we're constantly in community with. Um, but today, Paul is going to shift our attention as he's speaking to this church in Colossae uh, to two opportunities that stand before each and every one of us. And even as you, as you read it, maybe you heard them coming through, but these are two things that we are to continue in, and that we're to walk in. And these are two opportunities that seem so basic to our faith in Jesus, yet so often get overlooked or pushed to the side. And they're two things that can become so cliche in different ways that they kind of lose their teeth. And the opportunities are, are simply this, and they break down as we read through this, is speaking to God about people, And speaking to people about God. Speaking to God about people, speaking to people about God. We see in this passage, in these four short verses, this this dichotomy, but also how it runs together so well. And my hope is, is that as we talk about this this morning, as we look through this, that it will awaken in us to see the opportunities that are before us. I I was reading something uh, a while back, but it came, came back to me as I was looking at this passage that I just, I found absolutely fascinating to the times we find ourselves in. 
There was a, a 2019 Barna Group study. They often will ask questions of the church and do broad, vast surveys to see what are kind of the important habits of people and where people are thinking around their faith. And they, they did this in particular talking to millennials, uh, to Generation X, baby boomers, and, and elders. And so they were looking at those generations, asking them a series of questions. And there was one question where there was 97% agreement on. That everyone said, no, this, this is good, this is true. And that question, or the, the answer was, the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. Now, you hear us talk about that all the time. We are not in disagreement with that. I am not in disagreement with that. I want to make much of Jesus in every way, shape that I can because he is the truest thing I know. My life has been shaped and formed by him and continually being shaped and formed by him. And I know that many of us in this room would say, yes, I could, I could get on board with that. And so you have these four generations all saying the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come and know Jesus. Now, what I found fascinating is in that same study, they took the millennial generation and some of the other generations, there was a significant number that agreed with this, this statement as well, but 47% of millennials, so almost half of those that were a part of this study, agreed with this statement. It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone on a different, of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Right? So did you catch that? It's, it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Now, I, I read that and my, my brain broke a little bit because I'm like, on one hand, you're saying the best thing that someone can experience is to know Jesus. But one of the worst things you could do is tell them about it. Right? <laughs> to try and change, change their mind. See, again, this is, this is speaking to generations, and we're seeing this kind of wrestle with what does that mean to share your faith? What, what does that look like for us? Are we just looking for, for converts? What, what does that mean? Because I know in this room, there's all sorts of different ideas about this. Some of you have experienced what it means to proselytize or evangelize, and, and some of you have seen the beauty firsthand of a life changed by Jesus when someone encounters Jesus, and it's this beautiful moment that you got to participate in as God swept in and moved in an incredible way in the life of someone that you know and love. And some of you have sat next to someone as you, you experienced one of the most awkward presentations of the gospel that made you uncomfortable is like, oh my goodness, why are you trying to close the deal right now? I can't believe you're doing this. And you felt this wrestle, this tension in yourself of like, is this really how we should be doing this? Are we just looking to win an argument? Is that what this comes down to? See, but in thinking about this and overthinking about this, many of us miss the opportunity that is before all of us to share our faith. Because too often we'll hide behind phrases like, well, I'm, whoa, I'm, that's not my gifting. I'm not an evangelist. That's not, that's not who I am. That's, that's your job, right? Like, I get that all the time. Isn't that your job? Like, aren't you supposed to do that for us? I'm like, that's, whoa, that's not my gifting either, okay? Like, back off. I'm a, I'm a pastor shepherd. No, just... 
But when we start to create excuses, right, the, the Bible starts to eliminate those for us pretty quick. Because Jesus told us that we're all to make disciples of all people. That, that wasn't just for a few, the Green Berets of Christianity. No, that's for all of us are to step into that. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, my hope is that we can begin to reframe this conversation that one eliminates our self-imposed excuses, but also helps us to see the beauty of the opportunities that are before us. Because throughout this letter, Paul has been reminding the Colossians, and he's been reminding us that if Jesus is our all in all, then how we spend our time speaks to what we value. What we talk about reveals our heart, and how we walk and live our faith shows what we really believe. And Paul believes that we're all telling a story in some way with our lives. The question is just, what story are you telling? And so Paul is pointing us to pay attention to how we live our lives so that we may best proclaim Christ in all that we do. So let's turn to Colossians 4, 2, and let's just work through these verses together. And it begins by saying, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly. To continue steadfastly, this word carries with it this idea to pursue something obstinately, to be devoted to something, to stubbornly chase after something. It's the same word that we see in Acts 2.42 in the early church that we are told that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, that they were stubbornly obstinate in gathering together and devoting themselves to the teaching of the word, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to, to prayer, that they were hanging tight to these things. Romans 12, 12 tells us to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. That word constant, it's the same Greek word for constant there that's used for devoted, that's used here for continue steadfastly. It's just showing us various ways that we are to be constant in prayer, devoted in prayer, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Now, if you've been coming to church for any length of time, you, you know that prayer is an important aspect of our faith, but some still are like, but what, what really is prayer? And I believe that prayer is this beautiful opportunity that we have to converse with, with our Heavenly Father, with our Creator, that we can talk with Him using our voice. We can even write out our prayers. We see that in Scripture. Sometimes we just have that inner dialogue that's running even as we're talking with someone. We're talking with God at the same time. And so prayer is, is conversation with God. It's where we bring our, our petitions, our, our requests, our laments, our praise, our questions, our confession. It's coming before the Lord and it's talking with Him. But prayer is dangerous. Because when we pray, when we show up and we converse with God, and it's a two-way street where we're not just talking at him the whole time and we allow him to speak to us, what we experience is what Richard Foster said, that to pray is to change. That when we come before the Lord and we say, your will be done, and that starts to change the way in which we're looking at our lives and our actions, 
That suddenly the, the rhythm of our heartbeat begins to match his. That's what we're doing when we come before him. That's what we do when we're pleading with him, when we're bringing our questions, when we're bringing our frustrations, like, Lord, why aren't you doing something? And we pause long enough for him to speak into us in those moments. Prayer is to change us. And we're to be devoted, we're to be constant, we're to be steadfastly continuing in prayer. But then he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Being watchful. To be watchful means to be awake, to be alert, vigilant, paying attention to what is happening around you. Yeah, I think we need to have our eyes wide open to the world around us. I'm a big proponent of actually praying with your eyes open, especially if you're praying in your car. That's important. A friend of mine was working alongside a prison chaplain. And I tell this story often because I love the imagery of this. He was praying alongside a prison chaplain. And so he's going in. He was meeting with various inmates. He was having conversations. And they would always close their time in prayer. And my friend would just begin to pray with them fervently, just loving them, just showing up well in this moment. And, and afterwards, the, the prison chaplain, Dave, was like, hey, you know, you're, doing a, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. One thing, when you're praying, don't close your eyes. Not in here. You can't, you can't, can't close your eyes in here. And he wasn't being like he was judgmental. He was just he was stating the obvious. When you are in here, you have to be alert. You have to be watchful. You have to be vigilant. Not everyone's intentions are great. Some are. So when you pray, it is perfectly okay to pray with your eyes open. Now, we don't have to be in prison to know that people around us don't always have the best intentions for us. Some in this room maybe don't have the best intentions for us. But when we pray, we should be watchful in our prayer. We should be vigilant in our prayer. We should be paying attention to what is happening around us. Jesus told us that we are to be as wise as serpents and as innocents innocent as doves, that we are to be watchful in our prayer, paying attention in our prayer. But there's, there's a dual meaning here in this watchfulness too, because it means that we're paying attention to the world around us, that we're not naive to what's happening, but at the same time, we're watchful because we are looking at the horizon, waiting for Christ to return. And so we want to be steadfast in our prayer. We want to be watchful in our prayer, awaiting for his return. And it carries with it this idea of like when Jesus shows up, we don't want to be embarrassed by what we're doing when he comes back. Right? We, want to just, we want to just continue doing the work that we're already doing for him. He shows up and we're like, yep, we're just going to continue on worshiping you because that's what we're doing. So let us be watchful. Let us be vigilant in our lives. But what I appreciate is this watchfulness. It can do something to us. If, if we're not careful when we're watchful and all we're looking around at people is kind of like the side eye, a little cynicism of like, what are you really about, right? It can harden us. And so I love that Paul gives us this progression to be steadfast in prayer, to be watchful. And how does he finish it? Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Again, he's coming back to this theme of thanksgiving that has just been hammered throughout this, this letter. That we are to be a people filled with gratitude. That our hearts don't harden because we're always softened to what God is doing. 
He's reminding us to be thankful for what Jesus has done in our lives, to never lose that first love, that first excitement. Again, this is important because when we begin to be vigilant, our watchfulness can lead us to only see what is wrong and what everybody is doing wrong. And if that's how you want to live your life, you're going to have a long list of things because there's a lot of wrong that we could just pay attention to all the time. And if you're only looking for the wrong, then let me tell you what you're going to find. Everything that's wrong. So be continually in prayer, watchful, wise, discerning, but let gratitude continue to shape you. What do I mean by this? Because it's easy to look at our circumstances. It's easy to look at the world around us and to feel a certain level of exhaustion. I'm like, this is the worst. Every time I turn on the news, something worse is about to happen. I don't want to hear this anymore. Like, Lord, you said you're at work, you're moving, and I'm not seeing it. How long, oh Lord? And that's just like the worldwide vision. Then you start to bring it into your own life and the tension that you feel of like, Lord, I've been following you for a long time, and I'm still struggling with the same things. My anger still rises in a flash. What is that all about? Can you just take this tension away from me? Can you just fix me already? We feel that exhaustion. See, but when we allow gratitude, and not just any gratitude, but a gratitude that is aimed at Christ, who is our all to shape us, and we start to recognize that, you know what? Whew. That person that I'm so frustrated with, or that action that I'm so frustrated—you know—I I once was, I was, once was lost. I once was an enemy of Christ, but in His kindness and in His goodness, He has rescued me. He has freed me. He has empowered me. He has raised me to life in Him. And when I remember that. That I was blind, but now I see that his grace has saved me. No work of my own. That starts to settle in and suddenly everything just seems new and colorful in a way that it wasn't before. Because I was dead, but now I'm alive in him. And if you've been raised with Christ, then walk in him. So Paul is telling us, let us be discerning, let us be watchful but let us also live the goodness of the kingdom, even in the brokenness of the chaos around us. And let us continue to be thankful for our king who is still at work and invites us to be a part of his work. See, as Paul is talking about this, what I love is that he's about to now embody this, this very message. He, he shifts for just a moment to speak of his own chains, his own situation. And what he does in this moment is he asks for prayer, but the prayer he asks for is not the prayer that I think any of us would expect for him to pray for. To verse three, he says this, at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul suddenly say, I want you to pray steadfastly. I want you to pray watchfully. I want you to pray with thanksgiving. And by the way, could you pray for us? And the us 
that, that he's referring to here is Paul, Timothy, and, and most likely Epaphras who, who is giving him the report of this. Like, would you pray for me and my ministry partners as we're currently in prison? And we would think the prayer would be, would you pray for us that we would be free? But what is he consumed by? Was Paul speaking out against the injustice of his captors? Was he speaking out against the paganism of Rome in this moment? No, it's the truth of Christ that was, was so consuming to him. It's the message that he longed for everyone to hear. And so he begins to ask for prayer that he could speak with clarity this message that God had given him. This truth of a king that has come to set his people free, a king who has conquered our greatest foes and invites us into real life with him. So he says, pray, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ, this theme that we see often in Paul's writings. He, he most clearly defines it in Ephesians 3.6. In Ephesians 3.6 he says this, this mystery, this mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles our fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This mystery that Paul wants to make clear to everyone is that Jesus has come so that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus may have life in him. And that's his prayer in this moment. As he is in chains, as he is in prison, would the message continue to be free and would the message continue to be clear? And he even says, I want to declare this mystery on account of which I'm in prison. Because he knows he's in prison for proclaiming these very things. But notice he's not defeated. He's not angry. For him, he's like, no, this is a worthy reason to be in chains. And if in my suffering I can proclaim Christ, then it's, it's worth it. If I literally have a captive audience because the, the jailer who is with me has to be with me, well, he's going to get to hear all about Jesus. And he sees the opportunity in that. And then, he, again, he asks for prayer in a way that I, I think speaks to the humility of Paul that we can often lose in our view of him because we just see Paul in this brashness and he wrote so many things and he's so prolific and he's so complicated in his thinking and, man, he must have just had it figured out. And yet here he's saying, would you pray for me that I may make it the mystery of Christ clear, which is how I ought to speak. Even Paul is still wrestling with how can I make it that much clearer? How can I eliminate one more hurdle for somebody so that they can see clearly just who Jesus is? Now that should give each of us some confidence because we look at and we're like, well, of course Paul could answer anyone with the, the hope that he has, right? And even still, he's like, no, 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 I, I can, but would you pray that I, that would just continue to be clearer and clearer in my life? It's a prayer that I, I, I plead for. It's, it's a prayer that Spurgeon, the great preacher, one of the proudest things that he would show people when he would walk them around his church was there was a room that he called the boiler room where he had a bunch of people that were constantly praying as he preached. He's like, this, this is what I love because I, I need this. There's some of you in this room, and I always feel so selfish in these moments of like, please pray for me, but seriously, please pray for me. 
Because I want to be clear with my words when I'm proclaiming the truth of Scripture that, that I wouldn't muddy it with anything, that it would get clearly to Jesus, that anyone who walks into this room that is far from him may hear the truth and the hope that all things were good when God made them. He created the world around us and it was beautiful. It was very good until sin entered the world. And how did that enter in? Through our rebellion against God. We thought we knew better. We thought we had a better way. And sin entered in, uh, creating a rift in the relationship with God. Sin and death now marred everything. But God in his ever-loving kindness continued to pursue us until ultimately he sent his son Jesus to live the life that we could never live on our own, to pay the cost that we could never pay on our own. And Jesus died upon that cross that we celebrate on Good Friday taking upon him the, the death that we so deserved. He was laid in a tomb, not to stay there, but to rise again, conquering death once and for all, proving that he is the true and righteous king, come to set all things right, and there will be a day when he returns, and he will wipe away every tear from your eye. And that is the invitation that stands before each and every one of us, that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And this is the clarity that Paul is is urgently asking for. Would you pray that I would be clear to my captives for anyone who walks into this room that I would clearly make them know I am not the answer but it is Jesus that is the answer that you are looking for. This is Paul's prayer and a prayer that I think would, would do us well to, to, to emulate. To pray for ourselves too. Lord would you give me a clarity around just who you are, that I could speak that with a boldness, that if anyone should ever ask me, why do you follow Jesus? That in that moment, you wouldn't feel that sudden sense of like, I think I'm gonna throw up. I don't have the answer to the test. Like, but instead, you'd be like, oh, I've been waiting for you to ask. And let me tell you what, what Jesus has done in, in my life and what my experience has been. So Paul is telling us that we are to continue steadfastly in prayer, watchful, vigilant, with thanksgiving, praying for open doors, praying for clarity, and communicating the good news. But, but I want to stop us just for a second here and ask, how do we do this? How do we practice being steadfast and constant and devoted in prayer? Well, we, we don't just jump into a marathon, do we? Right? You don't just decide one day, I want to I run, so I'm just going to go all the way and do a marathon. No, you pace yourself. And it's the same thing with prayer, that we need to pace ourselves, that we need to set up daily rhythms in our life, that we begin to have those conversations constantly throughout the day. And if this is not something that you are practicing intentionally, let me encourage you to begin if you've been following Jesus for a while and you just kind of talk to him in emergency situations only, that, that's great. I'm glad you are. But you can have more of a conversation with him throughout your day. But there's also times where when we just kind of let that happen, well, we, we, we're not super intentional. And I, I found that being more intentional in my own prayer life has, has helped me to steady me, to keep me fixed on him. And so if, if you are, are looking to, to increase your, your prayer life, I just want to give you three quick things, okay? 
The first is this, set a particular time. Set a particular time. And, and let me just, I heard someone once say this, this phrase, and I think it's really helpful. Uh, these are not rules, these are tools. Okay? This is not like the checklist of like, oh, I did it. This is a, a good pathway to get you started. So find a, set a particular time, okay? I'm going to pray this day. And, and sometimes I, I found it helpful, and, and, and some of you in this room who are like, I just want it to be more organic than that. Like, I'll set a timer, uh, I, 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 early on, I would set a timer of like, I'm going to spend five minutes in prayer. And for some of you, like, that is so short. And others of you are like, what am I going to say for five minutes? Okay. And what's, what's amazing to me is that over time, that five minutes suddenly goes, that's not enough time. We were just getting started in the conversation. So set a particular time, a particular place. I found this rhythm of when you set a particular time in a particular place, it just kind of helps the, the, the thoughts kind of flood out your mind. You know why you're going here. There's a certain chair I sit in in the morning, and when I sit in that chair, I can feel, okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here. And then if you don't know even how to pray, right? You're like, I, I don't even know what, what am I going to do. I have found one of the most beneficial things in my life is to pray Scripture, it just gets me started, gets me thinking in ways that sometimes I wouldn't naturally, I just go to my go-to list of like, I need this and I need this and I need this. Scripture helps just inform my thinking. And I, and I actually think this passage, these, these short verses right here, continue steadfastly in prayer. How I would do this, continue steadfastly in prayer. Lord, would you, would you help me to continually be, be coming before you? being watchful in it. God, would you help me to pray with my eyes open to what's happening in the world around as things are coming? And, and I would pause here. Okay, Lord, what do I need to be watchful in? And allow him to reveal, his spirit will reveal things to you that you need to be watchful in. And God, would this, this not feel like duty, but would I approach this with thanksgiving? And then, and then again, just pause and reflect. What do you have to be thankful for? And just give that up to him. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the very breath in my lungs. Thank you for the seat that I can sit on. Thank you for your word that I can look at in so many different translations. We have your word in our hand. This is unbelievable. Whatever comes to my, thank you for my family, for my relationships. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open the door for the word. Begin to pray for others. Lord, would you be with those across the world who are proclaiming your name? Lord, would you help me to step through those open doors for your word? Again, this is just a simple way of starting the conversation. And some of you in here, I know you're, you're beyond that, but some of you have been, been sitting here for a long time going, I just, I'm not even sure how to really engage. Allow his word to be your guide. Set a, a particular time, a particular place, and, and just step into conversation with him. And here's the other thing that, that everyone always wants to tell you, like, and once you start praying, your life is going to change. It can, but there's some days when you, you're praying and, and you feel like, wow, I don't, I don't think anything shifted today. I don't, I don't think I, I saw anything new today. But there's this incredible compounding effect of our interactions with God over time where he is moving and shifting us where suddenly we start to recognize, oh, my prayers are shifting. My heart is, is seeking things that are of you. Lord, I've been praying that for a long time and now I'm seeking, oh, you're doing it, right? which is so often how I feel like he moves in our lives in these subtle ways where we don't even realize it until we've kind of stepped forward in him and now we see it. So take some time, begin the practice to continue steadfastly in prayer, watchful and with thanksgiving.
So Paul is telling us to, to speak to God about people, right? To, to pray for others, to, to come and, and talk with him. And now he's going to shift in this next part to how we speak to people about God. Verse 5 says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So again, he walks with this imperative, or he, he walks, he begins with this imperative to walk. Walk in wisdom, Sophia, towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. To walk, and to, to speak in that way, to walk in a way, was to live a certain way, was to embody certain actions. That's why we often talk around walking in the way of Jesus means that we are imitating the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the rhythm of Jesus, the patterns of Jesus, that we want to mirror him in all things. And so here Paul is saying, walk in wisdom, embody wisdom as you move about uh, your life and walk in wisdom towards whom? Outsiders. Now, this term that he's using here, he's speaking to those, those outside the church, those that you encounter that, that have uh, no faith in Jesus yet. They may have heard whispers of who he is, but they're not currently following after him. So pay attention to how you walk with wisdom towards those outside the faith. Making the best use of our time. This idea of making the best use of our time it, it's actually like a financial term there, to redeem the time, uh, to, to buy up all the time. Every opportunity you have, you want to hoard that, grab hold of that, take advantage of that, make the best use of your time when you're walking in wisdom towards outsiders. And what's that wisdom founded on? Is it on your own thinking? No, it's, it's patterned after the way of Jesus. It's patterned after living a life that seeks the wisdom of, of Scripture, that we are embodying these truths in the way we act towards those outside, making the best use of our time. And then he says this, let your speech always be gracious. Let your speech always be gracious. How many of you feel like you are just so gracious right now, right? Let your speech always be gracious. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. It's this incredible gift. When you experience the gracious speech of others, when you're not expecting it, it, it really is a gift. It, it really can change the whole complexion of a conversation when there's a graciousness that is driving that. Let your speech always be gracious. When you're talking with those around you, are you lifting the conversation or are you bringing it down? Are you able to be kind and fair in the face of adversity or do you find yourself slipping immediately into anger? Are you able to speak to others in a way that is honest and honoring even when they are not around? Right? And if you find yourself always talking about other people when they're not around and it's not honest and honoring... You should just keep your mouth shut. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Imagine if we were known as a people that were giving grace to those who hear, that we were always building up, that we were speaking words fit for the occasion. This is a continual prayer of my own, that, that I wouldn't be too cautious with words, but also that I wouldn't hold back or come in like a sledgehammer when, when really what is needed is just a small hammer. We have to think of the ways in which we speak and the, the power of life and death that hangs in our words. And so he, he tells us to, to, to always be gracious, seasoned with salt. I'm a firm believer that salt makes everything taste better. Right? It just brings out flavor in anything that it's added to. But salt is also a preservative. And we, as part of the kingdom, are called to preserve the goodness of the kingdom. That's why Jesus in, five, in Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled upon people's feet. We are called to be salt. We are called to add flavor. We are also called to preserve the good that we see. I, I remember there's a, there's a saying, and you've probably heard this, that you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And, and there was a, a, a wise woman I knew who, she loved the Word of God. She's a phenomenal teacher, and she just lived out the message of the gospel. And I remember talking with her, and, and she, she said, yeah, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But you can salt the oats. Right? You can make that. Right? I did the same thing. I was like, ah, you can make them thirsty, can't you? Right? And I believe that's what Paul is reminding us of, that, that we are salt. And that when people see the way in which we live for the kingdom and for our king, that it should make them thirsty. Like, I, I want to be in on that. I, I want to experience what he has to offer. I want to experience the transformation that you've seen in your life. I want to experience this grace that seems to so permeate who you are. So Paul is telling us our lives should make people thirsty for the kingdom. It should draw them in. And not to us, but to our king who has made this possible. So we need to be paying attention to our speech, that it's gracious, that it's seasoned with salt. See, if someone were to know your faith only by the comments you made online or under your breath, what story would they be hearing? See, our speech should make people thirsty for Christ. And he continues, season with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And this is suddenly where we feel this like heap of pressure come upon ourselves. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Even there, right, we feel a little tension of like I have to buy up all this time. I've got to, I've got to make every moment count. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you, you may know how you ought to answer each person. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation with someone or thinking about a conversation you're going to have with someone and you have no idea what you're going to say or how you're going to say it? Like, you, you know there's this tension point coming up and you're like, I just, I don't even know how to enter into this well. 
See, what Paul is reminding us is that when we make it a continual habit that we are in prayer, that we are watchful, that we are thankful, that we are allowing God to season our lives with his graciousness so that it just comes out of us when we speak, that when we practice walking in wisdom towards outsiders with graciousness, that it's going to become easier in these moments. Not easy, but easier. See, let me, let me say this, because I often think one of the biggest hang-ups we have and how we walk with those around us, or how we walk with those who are outside the faith as we begin to think, well, what if I say something wrong? What if I blow it? What if, what if their eternity's hinging on me in this moment and I say the wrong thing or I offend them or I turn them away? What if, what if I'm just not ready for this? I don't know the verses, I don't know scripture that well, I don't know what to say in that moment. And just to calm your fears, remember, you're not the answer. You're not. You're simply pointing to the answer in Jesus. And if you find yourself in a conversation where someone is curious about your faith, the best place you can start is with what Jesus is doing in your life. And they, if, they, if they ask a question that you can't answer, say, well, let's find that answer together. Don't make something up. But here's the other thing that I think we forget. You're never alone in that conversation. The Spirit of God resides in you, guiding and leading you, bringing words to mind and helping you at all times. Jesus told the disciples, you're going to be brought before the authorities. You're going to be brought before all these people. In Luke 12, 12, what does he say? The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You're not alone. So let us trust him in those moments. Let us pay attention to him and be listening for him in our conversations. Because when we start to put all that pressure on ourselves, it, it shows, doesn't it? We start to tense up a little bit in those conversations and we're not maybe as free or as natural as we normally are. I know for me, I, I, I distinctly remember I was riding in the car with some of my friends in high school. And they all knew I went to church and they all knew like, oh, Andrew always talks about this. And, and I was riding in the car with two of my really good friends and I'm in the back seat and one of them just says, okay, I'm curious. What is this Jesus thing all about? Like, it's kind of weird to me. Can you just tell me what it's all about, Right. And in that moment, I, I, I like fumbled and I stumbled and I was like, oh, well, uh, you know, and I was like racking my brain, right, for like how do I perfectly present this so that I can win them both in this car and I can't wait to tell everyone that they've come to Jesus, you know, all these things flying through my head. And I stumbled around and then finally, I, 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 like the, the Lord was just like, speak to what, he's, what I've done for you. And I shared with them out of that of how I'm following Jesus and what that means for me. And, and it, we didn't, you know, we didn't park the car and suddenly they both came to the Lord. No, but they, they suddenly, they understood in a different way uh, the truth. And, and in that moment, I was reminded of God's ability to just speak to us, to calm my fear. What if they don't want to be my friends anymore? All those things. No, he just, he just took that moment. And I've experienced that throughout my life in moments where I feel this hesitation of like, oh, what if they're offended 
right? It gets back to that, that stat we saw with Barna of like the best thing you can, that someone can experience is knowing Jesus. And then 47% of millennials are like the worst thing you could do is try and convert them. Because we get this fear in our head that, well, that seems offensive, that seems, but what Paul is reminding us in this moment is that each of us plays a part. Each of you in here have a sphere of influence in your life that nobody else has. God's given that opportunity to you to step in and live out the story of his goodness to all those who are around you. You get to share that with them. You get to participate in what God's doing in their life. Now, when we think about that, suddenly now we're like, maybe I do need to pray steadfastly (laughs) and continually with thanksgiving. But what's Paul calling us to in this? Well, there's three things. To walk in wisdom, to watch your words, and to waste no opportunity. To walk in wisdom. This This is always hard to flesh out. What does that mean to walk wisely? Well, are you, are you honoring God and his truth in your actions? That's a, that's a simple filter. It's not the end-all, be-all, but am I honoring God in this moment in my actions? Or, or am I making this about myself? Right? That, that's a pretty good indicator. When we're just making it about ourselves and our feelings, well, usually we're not walking in wisdom. We're walking in our feelings. But am I honoring God with this action? Am I honoring God in what I'm stepping into? With those who are around us, am I watching my words? Am I, are my words seasoned with graciousness? Are, are my words salty, not like a sailor salty, but like salty in that they're drawing people into Christ? And then waste no opportunity. We have these open doors that kind of just crack every once in a while with people in our lives. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because, like me, you have those moments where you see it crack and you didn't, you didn't step through it. And you, you feel that. And then you have other moments where you saw the crack and you, you stepped through it, trusting, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to go here because you've given me that opportunity. I'm going to trust you in this moment. Would you give me words to speak of the goodness of who you are? And when we have those opportunities, we must trust the Spirit must be quick to point to to life. And I think one of the the best things that we can do is continually to rehearse as an act of worship the answer of hope we have in Christ. Why do you hope in Christ? Why have you turned your life over to him if you've begun to follow him? Just start playing that out in your mind. Why did I ever do this in the first place? And suddenly you have an answer for anyone who ever asks you. See, too often, we're just looking to simply win an argument. That's not our job. Our job is to lead people to life, and that life is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. I think why so many of us are afraid to share our faith is that we're unsure if we're, we're doing it right, or if we've got the Loctite argument or, or the right answer. And I just, I just need you to know, I've seen very few people argued into the kingdom of God. But I've seen many people invited by the hope that they've seen in the life of others, invited by the the hope that they've seen in the life of Jesus. And the the whole fear of, of, 
proselytizing, evangelizing, conversion. Again, our, our aim is not to make converts. It's to make disciples. Lifelong followers of Jesus, not those who just check a box for fire insurance and say, oh, got out of hell, that's great. No, we want people who are going to engage and submit their lives in obedience to Jesus to step into life with him here and now and begin to grow in their sanctification as they're sealed with the Spirit and he's moving within them. That's the, the beauty of what we get to invite people into. And so here Paul is reminding us to be a people of prayer, watchful and thankful, to be clear with our words, to be wise and discerning towards those outside, gracious in our speech, ready with an answer. And he is confident this is possible. And I I love it. Paul is confident this is possible, not because of who you are, but because of Christ in you, who is the hope of glory. So may we never lose sight of the hope we have in him and may we continue steadfast in prayer and wise in our walk. Will you pray with me? Father, our our hope is you. And God, you give us the ability to, to talk with you, to converse with you, to hear from you daily. And Lord, I pray that you would stir within our hearts a movement of prayer. God, that you would drive us to our knees, uh, not out of, out of duty, but out of devotion to you. To, to learn from you, to glean from you, to be filled by you, to be empowered by you. So that, Lord, as we move throughout our days, We are overflowing with the grace that we have received from you, that our our speech has been seasoned by our time with you. And that we would act with wisdom towards those who are, are far from you. That we would be gracious, but true. Lord, would we would we never back away from living for your kingdom? Would we never shade the truth that Jesus, you alone, are the hope of all humanity? And with our lives, would that be seen? And Lord, for for those in this room who feel like it's not being seen because of brokenness or because of sin, would they remember again what drew them to you that you've overcome and that you forgive and that you are merciful, and that there can be restoration and newness. So, Lord, would we step into that, honest in our faith, always making much of you in all things. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Father, that is our prayer, that in our lives, in our very being, you would be magnified. God, in our interactions with those around us, with our friends, with our family, with our coworkers, with our uh, people within our community, God, that you would be magnified within us. And Lord, where we need to turn our hearts and realign to your ways, would we be quick to confess and to repent and turn back towards you? 
trusting in your mercy, trusting in your forgiveness. And so God, we pray that we would continue steadfastly, that we would walk in your wisdom, that we would be gracious, that our speech would be seasoned with salt. And Father, that we would walk through those open doors of opportunity that you give us and that we would clearly give the answer of hope that we have in you. Jesus, we love you and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. 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 Well, as, as we close this morning, um, I do I want to encourage you to continue steadfastly in your prayer, to walk in wisdom towards those around you. But I also, we haven't read our prayer for a while, and I would like to close with that, and then we'll get out of here, okay? On, on time today, all right? We're getting there. So um, this is Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be fulfilled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you continue to work out that prayer, pray that prayer, you see it's just been the themes that we have been walking through over and over again throughout Colossians. And so may you be strengthened according to his glorious might with all endurance, patience, and joy as you walk in wisdom towards those around you proclaiming the goodness of Jesus and the hope that you have in him. God bless you. We'll see you next week. May you go in his grace and peace.